Boy, I found out that if you don't live in New York all the time, you begin to forget where things are. <laughs> but uh, we were able to find our way around pretty uh, well after a few wrong turns. But it's good to be back with you folks again, and uh, good to see what God's doing here. Good to be back with the Montoros again. We'll kind of give you an update. Uh, we are now working out of Tennessee. Of course, when you have grandchildren in a certain place, it always gives you a motive to be there. So uh, when we're at home, we get to see the grandkids some. But we are in the process of uh, heading back to Brazil. We were not uh, sure exactly what we were going to do when uh, we left New York. We just took it as it was God's doing and closing the door for us here. We were not able to stay any longer. It just uh, became financially impossible for us to remain in New York. And we just took it that God was closing the door. So as uh, we sought God's will, uh, he began to point us in the direction that he wanted us to go. The church that we started some uh, over 30 years ago in the city of Piracicaba, Brazil, has now been without a pastor going on two years. We were there in 2008 for the 30th anniversary of that church, and the church was going great. Uh, It was a good spirit. The building was packed out, and we were excited about what God was doing. But after that, things took a nosedive, and the church went through two splits and uh, some leadership problems. Another church was not formed out of those splits, but people had been scattered in different directions and different problems uh, occurred. And so the young man who is heading up the work now is called Marcus. And Marcus was the vice president at the time of the trouble, and the responsibility landed on him. Now, Marcus got saved as a teenager when we were there in Brazil. And Marcus now, of course, has his own family. But Marcus has never had any formal training as such. He, uh, he just has his own job. He works in a muffler shop, and he on Sundays, he's in the church. He's leading as best he can. And we just ask you to remember Marcus in prayer because he's got a lot of responsibility. But we want to go there and, and help the church get established or reestablished. They've asked that we come back and work with them for a limited amount of time and help them get started up again. We're not going back to take over. We're going back to work with those that are there and get them headed in the right direction again. And we think that, uh, you know, we'll be able to see that done in a a relatively reasonable length of time. We want to be able to see uh, the church in a position where they can call a Brazilian pastor again. And also we want to be uh, open to some of the people who left for whatever reason And I think some of those people would come back. We were there in Brazil in 2011, and I had an opportunity to be in the church and talk to Marcus and some of the other people. And uh, they are, praise the Lord, people that have left. They have sought out other churches, but I don't feel, you know, they're in the best church. And so we want to see them come back to the church there, which is the Fundamental Baptist Church in the city of Piracicaba. So we ask you to pray that by uh, March, hopefully, we'll have the support we need to be able to return to Brazil and pray that uh, all the documentation will be in order so that we'll be able to make the uh, move in March. We want to thank you, Brother Montoro, informed me uh, just a little bit ago that the church will be helping with our support, and we appreciate that so much, and we appreciate your prayers. We have some prayer cards on the table 
in the entryway there. If you'll take one of these prayer cards and remember us in prayer, uh, we'd appreciate that. We need your prayers. God's work uh, requires prayer. Amen? Uh, You can have all the finances. You can have all the gizmos that go with it. But uh, if you do not have prayer, you're not going to see really a good work done. So we want you to be praying for us. Pray that God will give us health and strength and that God would also... Work in the hearts of people there. Pray for Marcus, that he'll be faithful, and pray for the other families that are still there, that they will continue faithful, and we'll be able to see the work go forward. Amen? Okay, thank you. God bless you. Let's open our Bibles, please. And the passage we want to look at is going to be in Second John. Okay? Second John, we're going to look at verses 1 and 2, all right? Second John, verses 1 and 2. We have a, uh, in Brazil, there's always the custom to stand for the reading of God's Word, so I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to read Second John, verses 1 and 2, and I want you to pay attention as I read these two verses and notice how many times... The word truth is used, okay? Second John, verses 1 and 2. The elder unto the elect lady, <coughs> pardon, excuse me. The elder unto the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And not I only, but also all they that have known the truth. For the truth's sake, which dwelleth in us and shall be with us forever. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, dear Lord that you have given us the truth, and we pray, Heavenly Father, now that you'll help us to have our hearts open to the teaching of the truths of thy word tonight. We'll realize the importance of truth that you've given to us, and we'll be faithful in standing for and proclaiming the truth. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Please be seated. Now, if you look at 2 John... And notice the word truth. You'll notice it's not only in these two verses that we have the word. In verse 1, it's mentioned two times. In verse uh, 2, once. Verse 3, truth. Uh, verse 4, also. And so there's an emphasis in Second John on the matter of truth. It's, a spe- it's with special purpose that God has given us truth. Uh, truth is not something to be considered lightly. It's very important. It's very important to God. And it's with special purpose that God has not only given us the truth, but that God has also preserved his truth generation after generation after generation. And we have the truth. Uh, Sometimes we listen to things that come through the news telecast or in newspapers, and we kind of begin to wonder, well, you know, what is truth? But the Bible has given us the truth. We find that God has given us the truth, and God has preserved the truth for us. When Jesus was being judged, and he stood before Pilate, he spoke these words, To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. So he was putting emphasis on truth. And then Pilate said this, What is truth? What is truth? And sometimes we talk to people 
and we try to witness to those people, and we begin to explain Bible truth to them, and they'll say, how do I know that's the truth? How do I know that I should believe that? Well, Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And throughout centuries, men have been asking, what is truth? And maybe you've asked that question, too. I remember one uh, church we were involved with there in the uh, city of Palmas, Tocantins. There was a family that came to the church, and there was the man, his wife, and four kids. And this is one of those families that always had something going on inside the, the home there. You know, you just never knew what was, might happen there. And the stories would kind of come back to us. And if you talk to the wife, you'd get one story. And if you talk to any one of the kids, you could count on a different story. And uh, if you talk to the man of the house, you would find that there was another story to be heard, all about the same happening. And one day I remember talking to my wife about some of the problems this family was having. And I said, you know, only God knows what goes on in that house. Because you talk to six different people and you get six different stories. You never know what, what the real truth is. But despite the fact that we might have difficulty determining what truth is, God knows the truth. And God has given us the truth. And concerning the truth, the most important thing that we can do is to take advantage of the truth and understand what it is. Now, I want you to pay attention here. Pay, pay close attention because we're going to look at certain things that the Bible teaches concerning truth. And I ask you to please have your Bible handy because I want you to look at several verses as we go through these different points. First of all, the word of truth. The word of truth. Now, what is the word of truth? It's the Bible. Amen. This is the word of truth. That's what we have here. The word of truth. It's God's eternal word. Look in your Bible in Psalm chapter 119. The book of Psalms, chapter 119, and verse 89. Here's what the Bible tells us. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. This book that we hold in our hands has not just truth, but it has eternal truth. Amen? Uh, you know, some things that we read, uh, they might be true today, but with the passage of time and with the changing of events, we have to say, well, that is no longer true. That is not the case when it comes to the truths of God's Word. Amen? Amen. These are unchanging truths. Today, yesterday, and tomorrow, and forever. The truths presented to us in God's Word are eternal truths. They don't change. It doesn't matter what the political scene here is. God's Word doesn't change. It doesn't matter what books written by men may say. God's Word does not change. We have the Word of truth. God has given us the Word of truth. It is His inspired Word. And the Bible is just presented to us as the very word of truth. I want you to look at a few verses concerning this. And the first one we want to look at is in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. A verse that we are familiar with, speaks to us of God's truth, and God's giving to us by inspiration the word of truth. Now, where does the word come from? It comes from God. Chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, not some part. What we have here is not a book of Jewish legends. Amen? It is not a book of Jewish legends. It's not a book of uh, miscellaneous history. It is not a storybook for children. It is God's eternal truth. Amen? And God gives us truth with the purpose of us understanding the truth and us following the truth. We read in 2 Timothy 3.16 that God has given us the truth. But look what Jesus himself said in in John chapter uh, 17. John 17, and this is, of course, known as his high priestly prayer. In John chapter 17, looking at verse 17, we read these words. Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. So God's word is given to us. And it is the word that we have to receive, and it is the word that we have to believe. Look also in 2 Timothy chapter 2, going back to 2 Timothy again. And in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15, what do we read? These are the words. Study to show thyself, and remember Paul was writing to Timothy, instructing him, and he says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needed not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. <clears throat> so when we study the Bible, we're studying truth. And you should have that conviction. You should be totally convinced. We have in our hand the very word of God, the very truth from God. Now, we have the word of truth, which is the Bible. And we also have the person of truth. Look in your Bible, please, in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to get there in just a moment. You can go ahead and be turning. Now, Jesus Christ is truth incarnate. He is the personification of truth. And of all the men who have ever walked on this earth, only Jesus Christ always, always, always spoke the truth. Now, if you want to get something negative about someone else, where do you go? We go to that person's enemies, right? And if you've read the Bible at all, you know that Jesus had enemies. So if you wanted to find out something bad about Jesus, you would go to those who disliked him, and you would ask them, what do you know about this person? But I want you to notice in Matthew chapter 22 what was said here. In verse 15 we read, Matthew twenty two fifteen. Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, 
We know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. What could they say to him? They couldn't say to him, we know you're a liar because he never lied. They couldn't say to him, we know that you are deceitful because he was never doing or saying anything deceitful. What they had to say, and remember, these were people who were out to get him. They said, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. That's what his enemies had to say. But beyond the fact that Jesus always spoke the truth, we see him as the very truth of God. Look at John chapter 1. John chapter 1, please. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 17. For the law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. Continuing in John chapter 14, verse 6, the verse we often quote, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. We just keep hearing that word over and over again. Truth, 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 truth. The word is the word of truth. Jesus is the person of truth. Now go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. And we want to begin with verse 20. Ephesians 4, verse 20. But ye have not so learned Christ, if so be that ye have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. So we have the word of truth, which is the Bible. We have the person of truth. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And there is also the Spirit of truth. In John chapter 14, the Bible is speaking, or Jesus was speaking about the Holy Spirit. And in John 14 and verse 16, we read these words. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, Jesus was speaking these words concerning the Holy Spirit. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to testify to the person and work of Jesus Christ, who is the person of truth. And the ministry of the Holy Spirit is also to lead us into all truth. You see, the Holy Spirit and the, the truth that he presents 
is always in accord with the written truth. Amen? There's never a conflict there. Look also in uh, John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, verses 13 and 14, we read, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, talking about the Holy Spirit again, when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Verse 14, he shall glorify me, for he shall receive of mine, and shall show it unto you. The Spirit of truth is the Holy Spirit. And part of his ministry is to lead us into all truth. Now, if the word is true, and Jesus is the person of truth, and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth, there's not going to be conflict between those three. Amen? They're always going to be in agreement. They're not going to be trying one to outdo the other. And anyone who claims to be led of the Holy Spirit is not going to be presenting some kind of a doctrine that is contrary to the written truth that we have. Amen? So we've got the word of truth. We've got the person of truth. We've got the spirit of truth. Now, what do people do with the truth? God gives truth for a reason. He wants us to know the truth. And when the truth is presented, then we have an obligation to respond to that truth by accepting it. Now, there's two kinds of people in relation to truth. There are the people who accept truth, and they're people who reject truth. Okay? People who accept truth and people who reject truth. Now, when it comes to truth, you and I have a great responsibility, and that responsibility is to receive and believe the truth. You see, the word of truth, the person of truth, and the spirit of truth present to us the fact that we can receive the forgiveness of our sins by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Christ was sinless, but he bore our sins on the cross, paying our debt to a holy God so that we could be counted as sinless and holy before God Almighty. I want you to pay attention to what's in John chapter 3 here, in verse 21. John 3, verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wroth in God. And then in chapter 4, in verse 23, when Jesus was dealing with the, the woman, at, the Samaritan woman at the well, we read, But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and and in truth. There's the truth of salvation, and there's also 
the truths that are involved in Christian living. I remember one time uh, my wife and I were uh, talking to a lady there in Brazil, and she was complaining about her husband. And he was not a perfect husband by any means, but she could have done a lot worse. I think he could have done worse, maybe. I don't know. But anyway, um, I was giving her some counsel from the Word of God. And we were seated at a table. And I had opened my Bible, and I was using certain verses and so forth, and I said, you know, this is what the Bible says, and this is what you need to do. And what she did was a terrible thing. She reached out and she pushed the Bible away from her. And she says something like, that won't work with my husband. Uh, God knows how we are as human beings, doesn't he? Amen? He knows how we are as a group. And he knows how we are individually as human beings. And the truths that are given in his word are eternal truths. And if we will follow his instructions, we can be assured that he will perform as he has given us in his word. Amen? It's not for us to say, well, that won't work in my situation. Well, that won't work in my family, or that doesn't apply to me. Because that means we are rejecting truth when we do that. We have to accept truth. We have an obligation before God to accept the truth and believe the truth and to practice the truth that he's given us in his word. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 4, the Bible says, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. I'm afraid, unfortunately, we have false professors. They say, I know him, but they won't obey the word. And what does the Bible tell us? The truth is not in them. But truth demands a response. There is a truth of salvation that demands a response of repenting of sin and trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And then there are the other teachings of the Word of God for the Christian who has been saved. The truths of God's Word must be acted upon and we must accept it as from God because he knows what he's talking about whether we do or not. Now what about people who reject truth? Now unfortunately there are many who reject the truth. Jesus talked about the two ways, the narrow way and the broad way and he said, you know, that's the broad way is where the multitude goes. And we can understand that as being those who reject the truth. They choose the broad way. They choose the way that seems convenient for them 
but not according to what God has taught us in his word. Now, when Jesus was on earth, he was rejected, and today men and women continue to reject the Savior, the person of truth. In John chapter 8, in John chapter 8, beginning with verse 45, we read this. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Now, Jesus was speaking, and he's saying, I'm telling you the truth, but you won't believe me. Verse 45 again. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin? If I say the truth, why do you not believe me? And basically, there is no response to these questions. He just left them with their mouths hanging open. If you reject the truth, you reject Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you reject the truth, you reject the instructions God has given us for living on this earth. If you reject the truth, you're rejecting God. Rejecting the truth of forgiveness of sin through faith in Jesus Christ means what? Condemnation. It means eternal condemnation. Now, I don't know everyone here. I know a good number of you, and probably most people here have made profession of faith in Jesus Christ. But there may be some who have never done that. And maybe you've heard the truth over and over and over again, and you're still thinking... I don't know. I'll tell you what. The danger of continually putting it off and continually saying, I'm not sure what I'm going to do about this truth, is very, very dangerous. In the city we're getting ready to return to, there's a large foundry. I've never been inside the foundry, but... We had people in the church that worked in that foundry. And there was a man there who told me about certain men who worked on a machine there. And the machine, they made uh, a lot of reinforcements still for construction in this foundry. And they would have these long bars coming out of the machine. And these bars would be hot, so hot that they would actually be glowing. We're talking about steel bars, okay? Now, that's a very high temperature. They told me about men who worked on that machine, and they had worked on that machine so long, and, of course, they were given big, heavy gloves, heavy leather gloves, to be able to uh, guide that steel through. Sometimes they had to kind of direct the, the steel so it would go on through as it should. But he said there were men who had been there working on that machine so long and their hands had been burned so often by that hot steel that they no longer had any feeling in their hands. And their hands were tough and calloused and they felt no pain. He said he had actually seen men with their bare hands grabbing that steel and pushing it on through. Now, what had happened? They had 
so many times burned their hand until the point that they no longer felt anything. And that's what happens when you reject the truth. When you first start hearing the truth, it touches your heart. And it affects your mind. But if you continually reject that truth and reject that truth, little by little, your heart and your mind become hard and calloused until the point where you can hear that truth over and over and over again and it does nothing. It does nothing. Years ago, I heard uh, an evangelist preaching and this man today would be with the Lord, I'm sure. But he told of a conference he was in and there was a man in that conference and the pastor pointed him out to him and he said, uh, this man, we'll just call him, Jake, he said, Jake, is, uh, he's unsaved. He comes to church, but he's unsaved. He'll tell you that. So one night at the end of the conference, the meeting, as Jake was going out the door, the evangelist took him by the hand and he said, Jake, why don't you get saved? You've heard the word preached. You've heard how Jesus died on the cross. You know you're a sinner. Jake, why don't you tonight repent of your sin and trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior? And Jake's response was, Pastor, there was a time when I heard the preaching of God's Word and it touched my heart and I was convicted. But... uh, Not anymore. I've listened to your messages every night and I don't feel a thing. You see what happened was he had continually rejected the truth. And every time he rejected the truth, his heart became a little bit harder. And a little bit more and a little bit more until finally... It was unresponsive. Now, if you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but you've heard the truth, then that is, that's really kind of dangerous when you don't repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. What really bothers me is to speak to someone concerning their eternal soul And see that person visibly affected. I remember one woman in particular. I had gone door-to-door visitation. I got to her door. I had the opportunity to go through the plan of salvation with her. And she was visibly trembling with conviction. But she wouldn't get saved. That's dangerous. And if God's touching in your heart tonight... You should not put off getting saved, not even another day. If you're a Christian and there are things in your life you know are not right and you've heard from the truth of God's word that you need to make corrections in your life, but you keep putting it off, that's dangerous too. 
That's very dangerous. Now, don't put it off. We have an obligation to respond to the truth. Now, I want you to listen to what the Bible says in relation to save people and the truth. In Psalm chapter 60 and verse 4, it says, Thou hast given a banner to them that fear thee, that it may be displayed because of the truth. We are to be proclaimers and displayers of the truth. And as far as the lost are concerned, the Bible tells us that God's desire concerning the truth is who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I'll ask Pastor Montoro to come forward. Now, I don't know your heart. You know, God knows. But whether it be the truth of salvation or truth concerning God's dealing in your own heart and life, delay is not a good option. Heavenly Father, we ask that you deal in each heart according to your own will and way and that there will be a positive response to the truth tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.